0: You park your car in the grocery store parking lot on a cold November morning with the expectation to grab a few things for the week. Inflation is high, can I get a witness? But that will not impede your efforts, no. You are determined to get the necessities no matter how much they raise the price of leche. That's milk in Spanish. You walk in through those glass doors that conveniently open for you. To your right or left is what you expect. Droves of carts for you to choose from, and even hand sanitizer wipes if you want to rage war on germs and spread the health. Kids with you in tow or the spouse at your hip, and you're aiming to go straight to the certain dairy aisle, you have a list. You'll grab the produce later. In your near view, you see a booth, the God-forsaken place where you see an advertising sign of a company trying to sell you something. With two mildly dressed associates, with pure motives, of course, to sell you something that they believe you absolutely need. Anyone ever been there before? You are all—you are very well—you're very well versed in grade school. That you know the quickest way from point A to point B is a. See, y'all can preach this for me. It's a straight line. So as you stroll down the aisle, you begin to weigh in the balance if you should go straight or rather you should take a detour down aisle three, the frozen section, and, and veer back into traffic, missing the booth on aisle seven where the infamous ramen noodles lay waiting for some hungry soul to purchase. Now question, how many of you, with a show of hands, decide to veer off in aisle three? Ooh. Okay, how many decide to go straight through and talk to these people in the the aisle? See, everyone didn't participate. Let's try this again. There is no other option. There is no other option. So here's the options. Ready. How many, there is, just, uh, just imagine with me, there is no other option. You have to go through aisle three. Aisle three, I'm looking at you. Aisle three. Or... You go straight through. Now, raise your hand if you, if you veer off the beaten path, go down aisle three. Now, how many daring souls would decide to go straight down the aisle and talk to them? All right, everyone, look back. These are your disciple makers. No, no, no. No. Willing to talk to anybody at any time. Well, at least you had a choice. My family and I did not have this choice in that brisk Gatlinburg, Tennessee air while on vacation in the mountains one morning. The booth was to the right of those glass doors that opened conveniently for you. The woman at the front desk with a welcoming smile stopped us, and I made the mistake. This is an unwritten rule, but I made eye contact. <laughs> the eye contact was her clue and much-needed motivation as she began immediately with her pitch to sell us discounts on hotels and resorts and restaurants and restaurants all with some type of catch, you know the type, and internally in my mind, it was, a major, it was a major inconvenience. And all the while in my mind, I just wanted to say, no, thank you, I'm not interested. No, thank you, I'm not interested. There are some people, especially during certain times and seasons in our life, that if we are honest with ourselves and we speak raw with no filters, we would say that there are some people that we very much are disinterested in. We would go out of our original GPS coordinates and trek a few extra aisles to avoid. We might get caught in what we might consider the snare of inconvenience. We either will internally or vocally, depending on how brash you are, respond with a very firm and attempt to be gentle, no thank you, I'm not interested." And if we are not careful, we take that same attitude to our walk with God and might mistakenly project that same image and attitude onto others. We'll walk into a season and see Jesus there in a much different way than we had anticipated. Watch Jesus do something out of what we would consider culturally normal and convenient and weigh in the balance if we really want a Jesus like that in our way, in our space, in our home, and even in our heart. Or would we rather want a Jesus that fits into our context, perception, and perspectives? If if you think you know Jesus all the way, if you think you know all there is to know about the Father for which we beheld here on this earth, then your answer would be yes. If you want to know him more and experience him more and in new ways, you would say no. How many would love to know Jesus just a little more? That's the question this evening. Do we really want a Jesus like that here? There's actually many to choose from, more than you might expect. See, Jesus was a common name. Many people shared, many people shared that name. Christ's given name commonly as, was known as Yeshua. It was quite common in the first century Galilee, not far from where he lived and ministered. Archaeologists have unearthed the tombs of 71 Yeshua's from the period of Jesus' death. The name also appears 30 times in the Old Testament in reference to four separate characters, including a descendant of Aaron who helped to distribute offerings of grain and a man who accompanied former captives of Nebuchadnezzar, I call him Nebi for short, back to Jerusalem. Many to choose from isn't there. God shares with his church three stories in the gospel of Mark that are hopeless and fraught with desperate people that call for desperate measures. And each story reveals something about God that might cause us to ask this question, do we really want a Jesus like that here? Or would we just want him to show up in the ways that we'd like him to? Our first story invites this question, but the next two confirms a pursuit and asking the same thing. But before we dive in, I want to pass this piece of wood around, and I want you to I want to pass it around. And if you happen now, there there is wording on this. I'm going to flash it so you see it. But I, I want it to be passed around, and then it's going to end at the media booth. Uh, but the parrot, you'll be the last one to see it, uh, and you can just keep it there. But uh, I want you all to look at this. If you happen to know what is written inside this thing, uh, keep it to yourself and hold it to the end. Can you do that for me? Can I get an amen? You'll do that for me? You won't cheat? You won't tell people? You're in God's house. so I'll just let you know. All right. So pass it. Look at it for a second. Get a, get a, get a glimpse. Look at it for a second. Um, and then while you're looking at that, still use your ears to listen to me. I'm going to read. I'm going to read the text of Mark chapter 5, verse 1. I'm going to read a few verses down so you guys can get the context. Mark chapter 5, verse 1 reads this. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Sorry. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him a question. What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion. For we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. And they begged him. Begged him saying send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000. Rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea the herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country and people came to see what had happened and they came to jesus and saw the demon possessed man the man who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid none of that makes sense And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg. A lot of begging going on in this chapter. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. The disciples and Jesus had recently crossed the sea after Jesus teaches about the sowers, the seeds, and the soil. And where the disciples witnessed Jesus as one to whom the seas listen and obey. Before this passage, Jesus had insisted that they go across the sea. And after a great storm meets their boat, Jesus reveals a part of his glory and authority and ushers in a prominent feature of his character. He speaks to every element involved, the clouds, the sky, and the wind and seas. And he speaks a word. He says, peace, be still. God can still do this in your life and in my life and in every element of your life today. And so in in a very real and tangible way, the disciples have seen a man with authority and dominion over creation. Say dominion. dominion. That's going to be important for you to hang on to. They had seen their rabbi in a different light than the way they had seen him before. So imagine their sense of awe and reverence as they step off the boat, soaking wet, and onto the other side of the sea. There's a few things I want you to keep in mind, though, before we step off the boat. They're coming to the country called the Decapolis. Really, it was a grouping of small cities that historically, we might equate them to an urban area, okay, a downtown of large areas, and they looked good. It was full of wealth, bless you, and wealth, and beauty, and good things, okay? It was a heavily populated Gentile area, an atmosphere both in people and in principle. To this end, it would make this area a place where Jews were not planning planning on going on vacation, much less going shopping. They don't go there. It wasn't in their interest. It was it was like an advertising booth at Walmart. You avoid these places. This leads to another, another thing, another reason to avoid this area. When they stepped off the boat, there was a man with an unclean spirit. Now, to a Jew, the worst thing that could happen to a person was to be declared unclean in the sight of people and therefore in the sight of God. And so this removed them from society and made them feel very separated from God. The Old Testament books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah, are packed with laws, rules, and procedures for dealing with ceremonial uncleanliness. It was a chore to say the least, to get clean again, if you will. So please remember, as we go through this, that his disciples were all Jewish, and that they would not have volunteered first to take the bus to go visit someone that was unclean. Again, this was the booth at Walmart. They'd rather go down aisle seven. Mark chapter five, verse three reads, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He lived among the chains. He lived among the tombs, excuse me. Chances are he didn't start off life that way. His mother did not dream that her baby boy would be living among the tombs. But now we see him as an outsider in his respective town. He doesn't live in the city. He lives outside the city, on the city's edge, close enough to see when boats would arrive. He lives among the dead and yet appears to be living. He is the New Testament version of the walking dead, alive but dead behind the eyes. Only God knew the story of this man in full from birth until now. His life did not start at rock bottom, but here he is living among the tombs. And his contemporaries, the word of God explains, all they know to do is to keep him out of the city, bind him. And when that doesn't work, use heavier chains, ropes, and cords until eventually human strength or intellect alone is not enough to manage the situation. No more visits. No more attempts to help, compassion fatigue is set in, and in the cries of this man go unanswered. And now these, these cries, day and night, the Bible says he cries all the time, day and night. And the Bible records the only records, but this, this annoying noise in the distance is what becomes common to those who live by. May we never rem- resemble this city. He cried night and day. And I guarantee you, it just got annoying. Or have we forgotten that Jesus told his disciples that we are a city on a hill that shines a light in a dark and demonic world? This man was always crying and always cutting himself. I wonder how many people there are in our community that may not vocalize it as much as this man as he wrestles with demons within but I wonder how many internally are always crying and yearning to be restored, redeemed, and reconciled. They may wonder if their story is worthy of redemption. Jesus came and does something much different than the world had already offered. He did not come to bind the man, quiet his sorrows, and leave him to rot alive in the tombs. This is what human nature, when pushed furthest from their moral principles and Christ-like character will do. But Jesus came to bind the spirits that had him bound and loose the man to his purpose in the kingdom of God. There is a Jesus like that here present in this room. You didn't get it, but you will. There is a Jesus like that here in this room right now. That's cute, but I'll continue. Jesus touches his sandals on the ground, and immediately the man in the tombs can sense that something and someone different had entered this side of the sea in their domain. He rushes to the place where Jesus is, lifts his voice, identifies who Jesus is as the Son of the Most High God, and then requests that Jesus not torment him. Meanwhile, at the exact same time, Jesus is commanding the spirits to come out of the man so, seeing this man's misery, Jesus asks a question that soon reveals the severity and hopelessness of this man's agony and pain. He convulses, I'm sure, and replies that they are, with a capital L, Legion, for they are many. Legion simply meant that more than one demon was residing inside. Many scholars talk about what it is, but if you'll... Reason with me, one demon's enough. It tells a tale of a man who had been bombarded by hell time after time with no hope of relief of salvation. Yet the story takes a turn because now the demons, no matter how many in number, have no dominion or jurisdiction any longer. Their last attempt to save face is to request a location in that of 2,000 pigs feeding near the hillside, minding their own business Jesus grants them that request and with haste and hurry they set their sights toward the pigs and the pigs do what pigs do squilling their way down the steep hillside toward the sea and just like that the pigs snuffed out and drowned never to see the sunny side of a frying pan converting themselves to that blessed form we call bacon gone if you love bacon say thank you Jesus If you love bacon and can't have it and wish you could, say thank you, Jesus. Okay, everybody can have bacon in here. Good. Tattletale herdsmen go and tell what the Greek historians referred to as the city-state. This was a group of people that was in charge of creating a united front against ideologies that went against their culture, identity, and beliefs. This is the group that was coming. This is the mob that was coming. It wasn't just a random mob, though there, there might have been someone in there, but these were the elites. These were people that could make decisions. These are the people that had the authority to say, I don't want him here. I can see them now marching over the hill with their pitchforks and droves filled with curiosity, and whoever owned the pigs overcome with fury and anger. We live in a culture that will march and throw hate in anyone's direction the moment they mess with their stuff of culture, identity, And their own idealized agenda. We live in a generation that will cancel you when you mess with their stuff. The crowd, or should we say protester or mob, see the evidence of a man who just encountered the power of Jesus. Sitting there in his right mind, clothed and talking sensibly. He was restored, healed, and set free from being bound. Yet when they saw him, they were afraid. Now, Jesus, like the disciples in the boat coming across the sea, these were a people confronted by the presence of the holy. We just got done singing about how holy he was. See, when the holy is manifested in the midst of an unho- unholy people, the only appropriate human response is dread. I'm going to say that again. When the holy is manifested in the midst of an unholy people, the only appropriate response is dread, but when the holy is manifested in the midst of a holy people, God people, the sheep of His sha- sheep of His pasture. Sorry, the only appropriate human response is reverence and awe. Now, you might wonder, why the pigs? Why the pigs? They didn't hurt I'm, They didn't hurt anybody. I mean, why, why would you destroy a multitude of piglets? I mean, when I think of pigs, I think about Charlotte's Web and Winnie the Pooh's piglet—docile creatures, and sometimes not so docile. What do they ever do but give us excellent roast and, when done right, succulent barbecue? Am I in Casey? Okay. <laughs> I had an argument. Never mind. Yeah, I had an argument with a, with a guy the other day. Who thought that North, what, where is he from? Help me, Lord. Where did he say he's from? Yeah, he said he was from North Carolina. And he said that they had better barbecue than we did. Dude, does anyone think that's true? She rose her hand. I won't say who it is. I won't say who it is. Now, bacon. Let's get back to Bacon. Back to bacon. Now, before you, just like the crowd, get busted and disgusted of what Jesus did with bacon, though there's nothing like a good piece of medium bacon, not too crispy, not too softy, just right in the middle. Let's be reminded of the equation in front of us, though. That one man's soul restored and destined for purpose in the kingdom of God minus 2,000 pigs is well worth it. And it shares to us how valuable God views the redemption of a human soul. Jesus came and messed with their stuff for the sake of a soul. Do we really want a Jesus to come and mess with our stuff for the sake of a soul? Would we be okay with it? Or would we rather have a Jesus that stepped off of the boat, having just quieted a storm, come to the city of the Decapolis, pray a simple prayer, and make his way back, leaving no change and no lasting impact? Do we really want a Jesus that will come to mess with our stuff here? Make us uncomfortable, shifting our normal, challenging us to greater walks, convicting us to move away from weights that impede our ability to get close to him, compel us to devote deeper and rebuke us for settling for less in his spirit, or would we rather him come? Give us a quick, windy experience that comes swiftly, giving us a few goosebumps and causing us to believe that we've had good church? Or, or do, we, do we want a Jesus that comes in and leaves an irreversible impact that changes the lives of those who enter forever? Do we really want a Jesus like that here? Do we really want a Jesus like that in our heart and in our homes See, it calls for transformation. It causes for what one man wrote, it is the constant readjustment for an ever-present God. A soul that day was worth more than 2,000 dirt-covered swine. It seems that God is willing to remove whatever is necessary, whatever blocks the possibility of making a disciple. That could even be you. He is willing to cross a stormy sea, deal with faithless disciples, tell the wind to shut up and cast out a swarm of demons into a herd of swine and not be nearly as concerned as to who it bothered or to whom it would cost. But the soul that he was after cost more than any emotional response, more than any financial woes, more than any discomfort. The soul was worth everything to him. Which is why he decided to meet a culturally unwanted, unclean man where people go to die so that the man could live again and tell the story. Do we really want a Jesus like that where the soul he restores impacts the lives of those around him enough to bring them to a choice either to desire more of him or wish that he had really never gotten off the boat? making them uncomfortable with how Jesus impacted their lives, or because his presence invited the very fact that when he got there, nothing would ever be the same in their space and context. Because once they had seen him that way, they could not unsee him that way. The crowd could have had many of responses. Jesus had seen them all. And would see many more during his time on earth. And scripture tells us in Mark chapter 5 verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Before they didn't seem to mind to have a demon possessed tormented man in their midst. Yet they did mind having Jesus around so they asked him to leave and he did. When people are more afraid of what Jesus will do in their lives than what Satan does in the moment, or how uncomfortable we are in our status quo, normal routine, not wanting to be bothered mentally, they often, by default, just push him away. They showed him the door because I wondered if the thought was this, if he was here for only a moment, and that was the impact, I wonder what would happen if he stayed that thought must have motivated them to, to make him leave. The thought motivated them to veer off into aisle three and avoid Jesus all together. Mark 5 verse 18 continues, and he was getting into the boat, kicked him out, getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him, and he did not permit him but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The response, response from the now, nearly, now clearly minded man is both of gratitude and purpose. His request is appropriate. In fact, it would be something of our expectation as we follow the story. What do I do next? What are the next steps? He, he desires to follow the man who To whom his deliverance had come. And see, here's the thing this is what Jesus asked us to do. If you're wondering, how in the world do I make a disciple? Sometimes we make it hard, but it ain't. This is what Jesus tells him go to your community or friends and family, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. That's it. That's all you have to do. You just let people know, hey, I won't let you know that I was down and out, but there was a man named Jesus who saved my soul. You don't know my story, but let me tell you my story. And that's all Jesus told him to do. I want you to go tell him how good God has been to you and how he has shown his mercy on you. Do you know where we'd be without the blood of the lamb? Do you know where we'd be if it had not been for that man on the cross? He didn't even have that yet. He just said, I can just go tell my friends and my community who left me by myself out there. All he had to do was walk in the door. Jerry, is that you? (laughs) Yep, it's me. I'm in my right mind. Are you sure? Yes. And all he has to do, his he's a walking testimony. And you're a walking testimony. You wanna make a disciple tell, tell, tell people this is what God did for me. That's it. This is what God did for me. This is what God did for me. That is the gospel. This man would never be the same now, clothed and in his right mind. The man, Jesus, calls a new convert to share the news immediately and then gets back on the boat to go across the sea where yet another hopeless situation plans to meet him there. Jaharis, a ruler of the synagogue, finds Jesus at the seaside and desperately brings his hopeless situation to the feet of the man who symbolizes hope. This man does not seem at all concerned with his social standing. So he is described in our text as a ruler of the synagogue. And perhaps many in their community would have seen him in this way. He falls at the feet of Jesus, not gloating, not gloating his role in occupation, but crying to God as a father, I can relate. Mark chapter 5, verse 21, reads this way. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jaharis by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet, and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter, my baby, is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that, they, that she may be well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. You see, God reveals his character in that not only will he meet a demon-possessed man where he lives in tombs in cemeteries and among the dead, but he will also go to the home of someone that has a higher salary, a cleaner home, and enough money to pay for a funeral band that featured professional wailers that Jewish law required. The Jesus that we see here shows no partiality or preference to social status. Do we really want a God like that here that demands us to respond and meet the needs of a wide range of diverse people? A Jesus like that would reach for those dead behind the eyes with tattered clothing and will equally, equally respond to the sport-coated and polished family who will never be concerned with where their next meal will come. Do we really want a God that will cross the sea for one and will also cross the sea for another? Like the disciple in the boat, we are on a journey watching the character of our master on display and learning and seeing what exactly he is like And how he operates and how we should in turn behave. Headed toward the man's house, Jesus bringing with him a crowd as always. There's a side story going on, Mark chapter 5, verse 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that he had, all that she had, I'm sorry, and was nothing better but rather grew worse when she had heard of Jesus came in came in the press behind and touched his garment for she said if I may touch but the hem of his garment if I may but touch his clothes I shall be whole. We get the glimpse of someone in this crowd that has heard the reports about Jesus. You see, I want you to understand something. There is always a narrative people have in their minds about who Jesus is what he represents, and what he could do. That is why it matters how we act, how we speak, and how we behave outside of these four walls. If you act like a saint on Sunday and then act like a fool on Monday, please do not wear the refuge T-shirt that declares there's hope in a hopeless situation. Because people may not believe you, and in turn they may not believe the Jesus that you represent. It was the reports about Jesus that caused her to consider the possibility that Jesus could affect change in her story. I want people that I work with, live with in my immediate community to know that the Jesus that we have in our heart home and in this place matches the very reports that they've heard about him. That he can heal sickness that he can mend marriages that he can set free oppressed and depressed that he has dominion over the demonic that just that just as much as he reaches for us when we reach to him just because of his very nature the person who reaches can be restored i want a jesus like that here where people come looking for a touch because they have heard reports that a jesus like that lives here comes here and expects expects that if I can just get in the presence of that refuge church the the refuge church claims has the answer that they could feel in their body just as they as as she did that God had made them whole emotionally physically mentally and spiritually and so forth I want people to walk in here and say there is something that's different in here but more than that they can say there's a Jesus that's in here I've heard it at other places but when I come in here, and I just get a hold of God, then something happens to me. I, 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 can't, I can't explain it. I can't attain it. Sorry. I, Jesus, your love. So get, got me, I'm sorry. But I want that, don't you? Don't you want the reports to be? Why are you here? I just heard that people get healed here. That's all I heard. What what, what, I would love it. I would love it. If the reason why people came didn't, wasn't because of social media, wasn't because of the website, wasn't because of any. I, wanted, I want people to come to Refuge Church. I want people to come to church in general. But I wish people would come here and say, this is the place where Jesus resides and I want to be there. This woman had gone from physician to physician. Let's just say she had gone from one place of care to another. Let's just say she had gone from one spiritual experience to another spiritual experience. And she went from one place to the next. Nothing got better, but only grew worse. But she had heard the reports about Jesus. Do we want a Jesus who was quite sensitive to those who were attempting to touch him? Are we okay with an interruption in our carefully planned services, though decency and order is appropriate? But are we okay? Or are we okay with God interrupting our day as he might be tugging on our heart that somebody is trying to touch him? Instead of asking him the question his disciples did, because this is what they said, Well, what do you mean, Jesus? There are plenty of people pressing on you. This is a knee-jerk response. We might ask this question, Jesus, who is trying to get a hold of you? Who is struggling in the crowd of fans, not followers, to get in touch with you? Do we really want a Jesus that can tell the difference between those who are content with being just a part of the crowd, coming to watch, and those who come desperately attempting to touch the throne room of Jesus? I want a Jesus who can feel, who can sense who can determine and interrupt and stop everything for one hopeless situation in soul. And can I let you in on a secret? He's wanting to do that every time we get here. Every time we come together. I, I know that he's, I know that there's moments when he's just walking on the crowd and there is someone here trying to touch him and I pray that we as spirit-filled believers can be sensitive during those moments to see it and to help them navigate it. Mark chapter 5, verse 32, the Bible says, He looked around to see who had done it. Jesus looked around to see who it was. Jesus looks today to see who done it. Jesus is even looking this evening just as he was looking for him. He turned and was looking for her. There is a Jesus like that here. Here's something that when we look at the context of the story, we find out that there is something more going on that meets the eye, in our Western eye. Like Sherlock Holmes, we shall investigate. Why did Mark pin this down? In his wise, in his wise, in his wise, in his wisdom, he definitely pinned this down. And But why did he put it in the middle of the story? And so this is, what I, this is what I proposed. Just like it would have been against Jewish law to go near an unclean spirit, much less be around bacon because pork was definitely off the menu for the Jewish people during those days to touch a woman or to be touched by a woman. That had a flow of blood was to be unclean. And to be unclean in a Jewish culture was a big deal. And a large inconvenience. To touch a woman that was unclean in their day would be similar to someone coughing during the age of COVID. You remember that? You know that you know the looks people gave you? <coughs> He's got it. He's got it. Stay away from me. Six feet. Six feet. You know what I was like. Anybody coughed at any time. <coughs> mask. Where's your mask? I remember, I remember the amount of rules it took to get back to work if you had just happened to be on the phone with someone that had COVID. You know, you had to do all these PPE extra things to get back. This, this would have been the same thing. This woman was showing more than symptoms, rubbing up on everybody in the crowd, and she with was, she was scandalous faith. I mean, the gall, really, of this woman to not be concerned about how everybody else will respond. She touched him, and now Jesus wants to know. Once he finds out, he has a decision to make after, he come, after she comes falling down at his feet, telling her the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Condemn her for touching him, how dare she, or congratulate her because of her faith. We see that Jesus I think we all want here. He speaks peace to her and confirms what she already knew, that she had been healed and that there was a Jesus that could, be, that, that could be touched by the culturally untouchable and socially unacceptable. That's the kind of Jesus that I want here. Is there a Jesus like that here that would touch the socially un- unacceptable? Can there be a witness in the house? Is there a Jesus like that here? i got a witness over there, witness over there. Uh, For those who have experienced him in this way, church of the living God, is there a Jesus like that here? Jarius might shout with decibels that might make your ears cringe because his response to that question would be that of shriek of joy that proclaims that there is a Jesus that not only comes to the house but kicks out those who would dare laugh during his hopeless situation. But just before then, his daughter breathes her last breath, at least as much as those in the room can tell. No pulse, no heartbeat, nothing. I've been there before. To the girl, death has come. The proverbial may he or she rest in peace has been issued. The commotion and chaos for everyone is greatly expressed to say the least. Someone from the house burst out of the house and... Heads toward the city. He must know the path Jaharis would take and see him from afar. He arrives now in Earshot of Jairus. And now Jaharis, like that family member waiting in the lobby of a hospital, awaiting news about the well-being of their loved one, raises his heart in anticipation, trying to embrace, trying, sorry, trying to brace himself for the unthinkable, probably for two possibilities, the welcomed outcome that everything is okay, and the unthinkable tragedy ending a hopeless story. The messenger rips off the Band-Aid. He's not really a good chaplain. He does not provide soft platitudes and empty words, four words that could stop any father and make any father drop down to his knees. Four words, your daughter is dead. The feeling I would imagine for Jaharis is dread, and then follows up with the question. I'm sure that's ringing in Jaharis's ear. Why trouble the master any longer? What's the point? Hope is lost. My backslidden family is not coming back. They're too far gone. My cancer is overwhelming. My body, what's the use? My addiction is overwhelming and I, I can't seem to kick it. There's no hope. I, I just heard bad news from the doctor and the dread of uh, it's it's overcoming me. Jesus is with earshot as well and immediately gives assurance with two choices. Do not fear, only believe. What Jesus implies here is that there were that where death has seemed to triumph is not. It's not trouble at all, at all, because Jesus would be doing the heavy lifting soon. But all he requires for jars to have is to have faith and not to have fear. Is there a Jesus like that here who can quiet our fears and bolster our faith? I declare to you that there is a Jesus like that here. I got a text today that lets me know that there is a Jesus like that here. There was a text that came, uh, I don't know, around 12, 1 o'clock, that there was some news that there's a saint in this room where he got news about his cancer, and that cancer is gone. Yes. Would you stand? Would you stand? This man right here can tell you that there is a Jesus like that in this room. Won't you stand to your feet and declare, there is a Jesus like that here. I don't know what you came in here with but there's a living testimony right there that there's a Jesus that can heal cancer. There's a Jesus that can mend your marriage. There is a Jesus that can take care of any disease wherever you are, no matter who you are. There is a Jesus like that here. There is a Jesus like that here. Please be seated. Please be seated. There is a Jesus like that here. Kirby, would you be able to say that in the microphone? Is there, is there a Jesus like that here? Kirby? Yes, there is. There is a Jesus like that here. If you're online and you're wondering if there's a Jesus that can heal your family and touch your soul, there is a Jesus like that here. There is a Jesus like that here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm thankful for him. Moving quickly, moving quickly. Mark. Chapter 5, verse 35 declares, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Moving quickly, Mark 5, 37. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house, of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw commotion, people weeping wailing loudly and when he had entered he, he said to them why are you making a commotion and weeping this child is not dead but sleeping and they laughed at him they laughed at him but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was Jesus from the crowded intersection with the woman now healed of her flow of blood directs only three to continue to Jehoris' house James, John, and Peter All three hear the sound of the professional wailers hired by Jewish families, and depending on your social status and financial well-being would determine the amount of wailers you could afford. This was a synagogue ruler, which meant he could afford enough for Mark, the disciple, to write that Jesus saw a commotion. Now Jesus knew this was a custom, a tradition that was done by Jewish culture, but still he asks, why the commotion? Why the weeping? Because a Jesus like that can only... Question their mourning because soon he would be the one who would soon defeat death once and for all. Is there a Jesus like that here? Their response is what one might expect if someone came to a funeral suggesting that the person in the coffin was only sleeping. You'd laugh too. They laughed. With cynicism, they laughed. With unbelief, they laughed. So he kicks them out of the house. There is a Jesus that will quiet the voices that speak loudly against his purpose and plan in their lives. There is a Jesus that silences not only the wind, but voices of doubt in our lives. There is a Jesus like that here. There is a Jesus that will, in the midst of confusion, bring peace in the storm. And in your story, there is a Jesus that can see what people might assume as a situation or a person dead and gone, diseased, void of hope, and speak to that crowd and say, they are not dead, but they are just asleep. He can speak to the one that was dead and asleep and tell it to rise again. And this is what Jesus does and can do in the life and the life of all who are not in this building right now, all Jesus says to those who are not in this building right now, who should be in this building, backsliders and those who we are future going to be making disciples, they are not dead. They are asleep because he has not yet come. So they are not dead. They are asleep. And he's just waiting to say what he says here in Mark chapter 5, verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately that girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And Jesus commanded them to give her something to eat quickly. I think there's a spiritual application. This just came to me, actually. When someone comes into the church immediately and they're babes, they need food right away. They need food right away. So the moment they come in, they need a Bible study. They need something to capture whatever just happened. Hope just came. But Jesus tells the parents right away, go feed her. Go feed her. So I feel to say that, just to let you know that when a new babe comes into the church, let's feed him quickly. Let's feed them quickly, because they're hungry. They're hungry. They're hungry. But why are they amazed? Why? Because a Jesus that brought the dead to life was there. Do you believe a Jesus like that walks among us? Can you confirm that a Jesus like that is in our midst? Can you find yourself in any of these stories? Does a Jesus like this intrigue you, or does a Jesus like this cause you, like those in the Decapolis with the pigs and bacon, to push them away? Do you expect a Jesus like that to meet you even here tonight? A Jesus like the one in Mark 5, the character and qualities of the very God who created the worlds with his words. Do we expect a Jesus like that to meet us here even tonight? Or, Or would we like that booth at Walmart take a detour and respond, no thank you. I'm not interested. What do we expect when we arrive in these glass doors? When we step into our closet to pray, or when we feel him during our day? I'm almost done. I read a cute story the other day about an 18-year-old going to college. <clears throat> she had some expectation in the beginning of her college career. She said, and "I quote: I-, I knew what I know what I wanted in a man." So I began to look for my white and shining armor on a white horse. At the beginning of her sophomore year, she said, I began to realize that the color of the horse was not that important. The beginning of her junior year, she said, I thought, who needs armor? Besides, it just gets rusty. As senior year approached with limited prospects, she said, I decided to take the horse. The expectations are kind of going down, aren't they? What is the expectation on the Jesus we expect to show up when we get together? He's not like the other 70 or so in Jesus' day. Many people have stopped receiving miracles in their life because their expector has expired. Maybe that's you. You come in this place and don't expect a Jesus like the one we found in Mark 5 today. And if we're honest with ourselves, we might take a detour because we know that when he has, what he has to offer might cause a dramatic shift in our lifestyle and more sacrificial ways toward being more obedient to him. Raise again your expectation today. Let there be a renewed sense of Jesus we serve, and instead of pushing that Jesus away, invite him to come and stay. You see, you may have come into this room and didn't expect much. It's a Wednesday night. I get it. The Jesus you heard about sounded somewhat fictional and far-fetched, maybe. Let me be the first to tell you that a Jesus that parts the waters is here. A Jesus that has the authority over creation is here. The Jesus that has dominion over demons, is here. A Jesus that can raise what was dead in your life and make it new, is here. A Jesus that can take your sins, bury and wash them away when you are baptized in his name, is here. And a Jesus that seeks to fill you with his spirit and have an overcoming life, is here. I wonder if anybody tonight that believes that a Jesus like that is here, I need more than one witness from the Decapolis to declare that he is here. Every one of those spaces Jesus enters, there was resistance. Bottom line. There was resistance at the tomb. There was resistance in the crowd. There was resistance at the house. He cast out demons, removed bacon, stopped a crowd, and removed mourners. There's a Jesus who will stop at nothing for your miracle with the motivation for you to follow him and to get closer to him. There is a Jesus like that here. If you could throw that picture on the screen for me. Has <clears throat> anyone found out what it, what it is? How, how long did it take you to, to figure it out? Is it quick? Raise your hand if it took you a minute. How many didn't get it till I said it? You're better than me. There was a man that I met two weeks ago. He's on a hospice, and he makes this for his family. And this is hanging in his house, and he wanted to give one to me. And he's there laying in the bed, and I, he says, here, I want to give this to you. I said, thank you. What is it? <laughs> he says, oh, you'll, you'll, you'll see. You don't see it? I said, no. And so I sat there, and I looked at it like this. Man. I looked at it sideways, front, front and back, and I just couldn't see it. But then <clears throat> I sat back far enough to see it, and then it went, oh, my God!" There it is. See, we fall into two dangers today, if you'll stand with me. We fall into two dangers. Two dangers. Because I'll tell you this, because now, now that you see it, you just can't unsee it now. You can't unsee what you've already saw. But we fall into two categories, and I want to I be clear The danger is twofold for both the believer and the non-believer. Ready? Number one, you will not see him at all in his glory and grace, beauty and majesty and humility. If that's you today, I want you to know there's a Jesus like that here. But now I speak to those who have seen and experienced him before. What we do, what I have done, what I am guilty of. We will downgrade him to a Jesus that we've experienced in the past, but not a Jesus we can experience anew and afresh in the future, here and now. He becomes this sort of historical Jesus, only found in the past or the dust bunnied in between the pages of the Bible. A Jesus like the one we see in Mark 5 requires you to look closely And if you experience him in every story, to begin to see Jesus' character in a whole new way. There is a Jesus here that wants to meet you in an entirely new way. And if we begin, hear me, if we begin to come here and expect that we know everything about who he is and to go about it the same way, then the people that come will will experience him in the exact same way. But if we come here and say, Lord, I want to experience you in a new way. I have not seen all of your glory, but I want to see you you in in a totally different way. So if you want to find a Jesus like that here, something new, the Bible says he's doing a new thing. And he can do a new thing in your life today. And he did a new thing in in Kirby's life today. There is is a Jesus like that here. Would you find a place either in your heart or in this front place and say, Lord, I want to meet that same Jesus. And I want to meet him in a totally, totally different way. Because there there is a Jesus like that here you fill in the blank there is a Jesus like he can he can take care of my disease he can take care of my son he can take care of my finance there is a Jesus like that here to experience him fresh and anew again for next few minutes why don't we experience him in just a whole new way because there is there's a Jesus like that